This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Delighted that Premier Daniel Smith has found time to join us on what I think is going to be a pretty busy day. Uh, Premier, thanks so much for your time. I appreciate you being here. Nice to talk to you, Shay. Yeah, we'll get to the politics in a second, and, and there's lots to talk about there. First, though, uh, this, of course, is the anniversary of one of the worst natural disasters in Canadian history, the worst ever in Calgary's history, the floods of 2013. Not just Calgary, but High River, where, of course, you live. And so, you know, what comes to mind? Is it a lot of people talking about, oh, I remember 10 years ago and where we've come since then. What, what comes to mind for you when you think about the floods in Calgary and High River in southern Alberta? Well, it's a, such a strange confluence of of, uh, of events when 10 years ago we had the worst flood in Alberta history and we're just coming off the worst fire season now in Alberta history. I, I hope that we're through it now, but it does strike me that this, this is when people really turn to government, is that government has to be able to leap into action with all of our first responders. We have to be able to do this well so that people feel confident, feel secure, they're communicated with, they know what's happening. And then when you have the aftermath of recovery, everybody needs to be supported. So this this is when I think really people do turn with some gratitude towards uh, towards government and, and how it works and towards our first responders. I was just at Spruce Meadows this weekend and the Southern family every year since the, since the first, since the floods have been doing an annual celebration of all of our first responders just to thank them year after year. And so they, they had to, to put in those extra hours already this uh, this fire season and so I, I think that and unfortunately this has become a reality in Alberta whether it's flood or fire or ice storms or hail storms we we have to be prepared that, that uh, every couple of years these are the kind of things we're having to deal with and our, our first responders are just so amazing at just leaping right in where where a lot of people go in the other direction they run yep. into danger. Ted, you were 2013 you were leader of the Wild Rose at that time right? I was, and, and I have to tell you, I had a great experience with uh, with Rick Fraser. He was appointed the flood minister for High River. You may recall that uh, at the time, Premier Allison Redford, she appointed the flood minister for specifically for High River, as well as for Southern Alberta. Greg Redick was appointed in Southern Alberta. And it was a, it was one of my best experiences with the, the government being in opposition, was identifying issues on the ground, being able to elevate them to a minister, and then being able to address them. And so uh, going through the fires, I took that experience and made sure that my MLAs were ones I was communicating with, or the candidates at the time, because there weren't any MLAs. They were just people who were, had previously been elected. And we were in this weird zone in May where, where we, we weren't actually, we, where we had a, a state of emergency, even though we were in the middle of an election. Mm-hmm. But that on the ground kind of intelligence that you get. I mean, I learned about that in uh, in twenty in twenty thirteen when it happened, and it, I think it's prepared me that when we come forward with these kinds of events again, yeah, you always have to listen to local people, identify issues, and then be able to troubleshoot. And and so I I think that the experience that I had at the time turned out to be very positive. There, there are many changes that uh, that had to be made to the disaster recovery program. I've spoken to the the new head of the disaster recovery program, and he says that what we experienced at that time made this program work better. I know that High River 
We finished 100% of our flood mitigation. We've got a little more work to do in Calgary. Last yeah. time I, I checked, of course, I mean, we've got a spring bank dry down, which helps on the elbow. And we've had a number of berms that have been done, but I think only about 30% of that work's been done. The last big piece, of course, is finding a better mitigation strategy on the Bow River. And we're in the process of, of uh, having environment look at some options on that. But I think, I'll, I think Cal- this is the only frustration I have is 10 years later, we're still not fully protected in Calgary. And I, I know that when when uh, flood season hits, that still causes some anxiety. So we want to be able to address that and hopefully get that last piece done uh, in the next four years. Yeah, we, we heard some from Calgary residents down in that area saying, yeah, exactly what you're saying. And we, we need to get more work done here. Okay, let's move on. Two o'clock today, you are scheduled to lead a meeting with uh, the Federal Natural Resources Minister, Jonathan Wilkinson, uh, Intergovernmental Affairs Minister, Dominic LeBlanc, several ministers from your cabinet. I think last I heard Brian Jean, Rebecca Schultz would be there. Both sides in this conversation, uh, and I think it's a, it, this, uh, first of all, let's ask the question. This is about the uh, new sustainable jobs legislation that was tabled on Thursday. That's what we're talking about. Yeah, we had the nervousness we had about that is that when the consultation began, they initially called it the just transition right, yes. consultation. And we know what that language means. It means a complete phase out of oil and natural gas. That's how sort of the extreme environmentalists frame that. And, and we were, that's not on. I mean, we are not going to be phasing out oil and natural gas jobs. What we are going to work on is reducing emissions. And as long as we can keep it on that level, that uh, the industry is going to become cleaner and cleaner. It's going to have less and less emissions. There's new opportunities. I think we'll be able to find some common ground. What's that meeting like? When you walk into that room, what's the approach you take? Because both of you have talked about collaboration and finding common ground and moving forward, but at the same time, you've also talked about sovereignty acts and we will not tolerate this and we'll fight this with every tool at our disposal. So what's, how do you present Alberta's position in that meeting at two o'clock? Is it guns blazing or is it conciliatory? Well, I've talked to the prime minister. Every time I've talked to him, I've talked about our aspiration to to, to achieve carbon neutrality by 2050. That's the commitment that most of the industrialized countries in the world have signed on to. It's the commitment we've signed on to in, as Canada. And we're, we've created our emissions reduction and energy development plan with that in mind. We know that there are a number of large companies that are already in sync with that. The Pathways Group for Oil Sands has a net zero by 2050 target. Dow Petrochemical is going to have uh, the first petrochemical plant that is going to be net zero. We're hoping to make the, the final investment decision to have it here. Air Products is also a uh, net zero hydrogen uh, facility. And there's, and there's multiple other projects along those lines. So, so we want to make the case that all of the industries are stepping up to the challenge of emissions reduction. And if they come through with legislation that is too fast, unachievable, because the technology isn't available, they're going to be hamstringing all of those efforts. They, they had initially talked about having a net zero power grid by 2035. It's just simply not achievable in Alberta. 90% of our power grid is natural gas, and we've got to, to focus on affordability and stability as our number one option. There may be opportunities down the road as hydro gets developed on uh, run of the river, as the small modular nuclear gets proved out. Uh, but the gain, you can't do that by 2035. There needs to be some time. Same thing with um, initial plans for a 30% emissions reduction for fertilizer and a 42% emissions reduction in oil and natural gas by 2030. Completely unachievable. And what it would simply do is it would reduce food production and it would shut in oil and natural gas. And that's not on. I mean, the, the, the Sovereignty Act was really just educating the rest of the country about how our Constitution is supposed to work. In the Constitution, Alberta 
has the sole jurisdiction, exclusive jurisdiction, to develop its resources and determine its electricity grid. And we would need them to come into alignment with us on our emissions reduction strategy. And I'm hoping that happens when we have our meeting today. Is it timeline? I mean, like you say, almost everybody seems to be on the same page when we get to 2050. There's not a lot of disagreement where we want to be in 2050. It's the intervening 27 years. And, and, And I think you're right in a lot of cases when it comes to pace and timeline. And we've heard the same thing from industry as recently as last week. Is that where the issue is? Like, okay, 2050, we're all on the same page. Now let's just work out a reasonable time line to get there. Completely. I mean, look at the Pathways Project as an example. Yeah, they yeah. have they were they were in the lead on saying that zero by by 2050, and I believe that they can get a 20 percent reduction by 2030, which is pretty substantial. But they have to get a permitted pipeline for the for the ca- a carbon uh, trunk line they want to build. They've got to get all the permitting and a consultation in place with First Nations and environmental issues so that we can uh, capture and sequester the CO2. They've got to develop the technology in order to be able to capture it at source. And uh, th- that can't be done in seven years. I think everybody knows. I mean, we can speed up the timelines, I think, if the federal and provincial governments are working together. But if that is sort of the marquee piece that they need, they need the time to build that out. And so putting in some arbitrary target that they want us to get to by 2030, it- it's-, it's just not possible here. I, th- I think part of the issue is they-, they may not understand in eastern Canada how reliant uh, Saskatchewan and Alberta are on, on natural gas. We-, we already made... A, a profound step in moving away from coal as early as we did at great cost, and now they're uh, they're taking aggressive measures on natural gas before those those uh, investments have even paid off, which would also cause an immense cost to our ratepayers. And so, part of it is that as technology develops and as there's sort of a natural end of life in some of these plants, you can clean, you can trade out for cleaner technology. But that's a time frame that we that we need to be operating on. And so, th- those are the case. That's the case I'm going to to, to make. To the ministers today. Okay, the meeting at 2 o'clock uh, in Calgary, in Edmonton, at the legislature, opposition MPs being, or MLAs being sworn in today, uh, your government being sworn in tomorrow, and also the selection of a speaker. So we're going to see some action at the ledge. Is that it? Just those formalities? Like, we're not looking for a throne speech or anything actually happening uh, in the coming session, right? No, I mean, it is it is pretty fast yeah, for us yeah. to try to put all of that together. I still, I've just put my ministers in place. They've all just been uh, briefed as of last week. I have mandate letters that I, I need to put forward. And so a th- throne speech really talks about what the legislative agenda is going to be. So we'll return to the to the session in the fall uh, as per normal, I think, at the end of October. Uh, but we want to make sure that the officers are in place, the speaker, the deputy speaker, and the chair of committees, because there's work that the, the speaker needs to do uh, over the summer. And so they, we, we just want to make sure that we know who those folks are. Um, I want to talk to you about something uh, that from last week, a couple of stories last week, and I think it speaks to the issue of credibility and, and where that ranks with you in terms of importance when you communicate with Albertans. There was there was two things last week that you talked about that just weren't true. I mean, one was the arsonist in connection with wildfires. RCMP say 12 of more than 640 fires are being investigated as suspicious. And then there was the post that you put up about social media and big tech and government censorship saying that your Facebook account had been banned. It wasn't. It was one of your admins. Who'd, I mean, when, when you make statements like that without actually having the facts before you do, are you worried about how that affects your credibility to, when you speak to Albertans? You know, I think the media should do a better job uh, during fire season of telling people how many fires are started by humans. I'll tell you, you 12 out of, out of 640. Hold on a second. You, you've talked nonstop about climate change uh, causing fires. We've had 645 fires started. Yeah. About 150 of them have been started naturally by lightning. 
which means the vast majority are started by humans. And we need to make sure that humans are very careful during fire season when they go out, whether it's, uh, whether it's because they are throwing a smoke out the window or whether they're starting a campfire or whether they're burning garbage. The vast majority of fires are started by human beings. And, and you don't think media has talked about, you don't think media, seriously, you don't think media has talked about that? Well, I have to tell you, my answer was in, to a question of whether or not climate change was starting all the fires. And, and I think we have to be very clear that people have to be careful during fire season because it's dry out there. We are always going to have a fire season in May. People are always going to have to be careful. And I don't want that message to, to, be, mis, to be misunderstood. On the issue of how we deal with emissions, that's a, that's a different issue. And, of course, we're going to deal with emissions. That's what our emissions reduction and energy development plan is all about. But the how does injecting issue, the conspiracy say, theory of arson into it help with any kind of information that you're talking about right now? Look, we had to call in two extra hot fire investigators from outside because we had uh, over 150 that have that we don't know the cause of. And so I'll just let them do their work. But I'm going to watch what happens. And the main message is you got to be careful during fire season because most fires in every fire season are human-caused. Sure. Yeah, you asked the question about, um, about Facebook. All yeah. I know is that for eight months, all the people who have been posting on my Facebook page on my behalf were unable to post. And we raced it with Facebook. They were able to restore it. And I'm glad that they did. But uh, look, I have a platform. When uh, when something happens to me, I'm able to to talk to the, the the public about it and raise the alarm. And I did. And I'm glad they were able to fix it. There's a lot of people who have been shadow banned who aren't able to have the platform that I did. To be but wait able to a minute, there was there was nothing to fix. You're, they they never suspended your account. You were able to post the entire thing. They didn't fix anything. There, nothing changed. All the people who have been posting on my behalf for eight months were unable to post. That's all I know. That's my experience. That's highly there was one. There was one administrator who'd been dealt of, with, according to Meta, according to Facebook. All, all of the people who were posting on my Facebook on my behalf were unable to post. That was my experience. I'm glad it got fixed. And now uh, I hope it doesn't happen again. Because, look, we have to be aware that this is happening. I mean, I've been interviewed for a movie called Canada is Dying, as has my chief of staff. And we know from the from the producer of that, Aaron Gunn, that he is also suffering from shadow banning. Is part of the reason why does I he have evidence? Because you don't. Like, can he actually point to me him him being banned in some way? Because you weren't banned. That's the whole point. There was no shadow ban. There was no banning at all. I all I know is the people who this is my experience. The people who uh, had posted for eight months on my page were unable to post. And we managed to get it fixed, and it took several hours to do. But I think this is an important issue. We need to make sure that everybody has access to these public squares. They're becoming increasingly important to get our message out. And if I have problems, I'm going to let people know about it. Okay. I, I appreciate it. I kept you much longer than I said it would. I do appreciate your time. Thank you for joining us.